Well, hi, everybody, and welcome to episode 24 of the Memoirs of a Movie Stand-In Podcast. Today I'm going to talk about a crossover episode uh, between Touched by an Angel and Promised Land. We made this episode in the early part of 1997. And in case you don't know what I mean by a crossover episode, this is when characters from one series make an appearance on a different series. So this often happens when a show is a spin-off of another show, as was the case with Promised Land being a spin-off from Touched by an Angel. Or maybe uh, when two shows aren't directly related as far as the storyline goes, but perhaps the same executive producer is in charge of both shows. Maybe some characters from CSI Miami show up on CSI New York. You know, that sort of thing. That's a, that's a crossover episode. Okay, so uh, let's see now. We did a crossover episode in, uh, yeah, it was, it was about the end of January 1997 when we did this. And this was not the first crossover episode between Touched by an Angel and Promised Land, but it was kind of a big deal. They wanted to really make a big statement with this particular storyline. So the story begins, the Green family is just out in the middle of nowhere gassing up, getting ready to continue their road trip, when Tess the Angel shows up and says, uh, God has told you to take a break, except for Josh here, your teenage son. I'm going to take him with me. Russell Green is like... <laughs> Well, this is ridiculous. I, I, this doesn't make any sense. And Tess says, well, nothing God uh, does is ridiculous, and this is what God wants to happen. Of course, Josh, it's up to you, but if you, uh, if you choose to come with me, you have to come right now. There's no time to say goodbye to your mother or pack up your things. You have to get in that car right now and go with me. So Josh decides that he must do this and takes off. And uh, the, so the Green family's uh, a little bit uh, dumbfounded at this. What is going on? I don't know, but I guess we just need to stay here until uh, an angel comes and tells us otherwise. Okay, so suddenly now it's a Touched by an Angel episode. And uh, Josh gets in the car, test driving, and in the back seat of the car there's Monica, the other angel, the Irish angel, and she's in the back of the car, and she's blind. A blind angel? Yeah, well, that, that well, we don't know why, but I guess we'll find out over the course of this two-hour crossover episode story. Well, on their way to Denver, uh, Josh and the angels, the the car breaks down, and uh, they get a they hitch a ride from somebody who's coming from California, and he's on his way to Denver, so he he takes them uh, the rest of the way uh, where they need to go. Of course, uh, at this point, uh, Tess does not come along with them. So here you've got the, the kindly stranger from California uh, with Josh and Monica the Angel, and the three of them are headed to a specific location in Denver where the guy from California has to go, and he's going to manage a uh, strip mall shopping center. Okay, so I hope I haven't lost you so far. Yeah, it is a little bit of a convoluted uh, story, and I have to admit just up front, this is uh, not my favorite story ever uh, that was portrayed uh, for Touch Fine Angel or Promised Land. In a lot of ways, I found the story to be uh, annoying, actually, and it's, it's kind of an agitating episode to watch. And I think maybe the reason why I feel that way is that uh, there was a concerted effort with this story to make a statement about race relations in America. And I just, uh, you know, I prefer the, the less heavy-handed uh, storylines of 
Promised Land and Touched by an Angel. And this one was, by all means, a very heavy-handed storyline. So in this storyline, the kindly stranger from California, he's, uh, you know, he's just a a young guy, uh, not really making a lot of progress in his life. He'd like to be a musician. You know, he tried to go to school. That didn't work out for him. And uh, his grandfather actually owns this strip mall in Denver. So uh, it's just sort of as a last-ditch effort to uh, give this young man something to do. The grandfather sends him out to Denver to manage the strip mall and perhaps just uh, to sell it as quickly as possible, cash out and leave. And so this is what the young man intends to do. The strip mall um, has some shops in it. It's got a little doctor's clinic and you know a sandwich shop and a, a little uh, law office and a, uh, uh, a Korean grocery store. And there's a, a mixture, uh, there's a racial diversity thing going on in this strip mall. Most of the characters are African-Americans. Oh, and I should mention a beauty shop as well in there. African-American characters, the Koreans, of course, that run the grocery store. Uh, it looks like it may be Hispanic. Uh, lawyer in there, and um, in a very depressed, gang-ridden neighborhood, and, uh, you know, things aren't going so well for them. So suddenly this white kid shows up, the manager of the place, and everyone's just already automatically annoyed at the white kid who's going to come and, uh, you know, take care of, of business there for them. And so it starts out tense anyway, and uh, and then it just gets worse from there. <laughs> I, as I said, there was an attempt uh, with this episode to say something profound about race relations in America. But from where I stood as a viewer, uh, it was just so heavy-handed and depressing and, and not an enjoyable thing to watch. Um, now, I hate to make too many statements about race myself in this podcast, but I think there is a certain um, catharsis among uh, entertainment writers to uh, just sort of, I don't know, I guess I I would describe it as some sort of cathartic expression when it comes to uh, having something to say about race. Now, um, a couple of movies come to mind immediately, a movie called Grand Canyon, which uh, had something to say about racial tension in uh, Los Angeles back in the early 90s. More recently, a movie called Crash, which uh, won Best Picture just a few years ago. And I didn't see Crash, but again, it was, you know, some Hollywood uh, statement, cathartic statement about racial tensions in America. And in many ways, I would say that this episode of Touched by an Angel, this crossover episode... um, between the two shows uh, was very much like those things, just a cathartic statement about race relations. But for, for me as a viewer, uh, I guess the problem was uh, there had been um, racial diversity in the Promised Land show up to this point, and the Green family appeared to be basically colorblind. You know, Josh had friends that were sometimes uh, minority characters, no big deal. Uh, of course, the Green family was very fond of their friend Erasmus, who might as well have been a family to them. And uh, he he was African-American, and nobody ever said a thing about that. It was no big deal. And yet, suddenly, after we've gotten to know the Green family as a somewhat uh, 
you know, well-adjusted American family that uh, didn't have any problems with race, suddenly they're dropped in the middle of this situation and they have all kinds of trouble with race. <laughs> there's uh, there's a, a scene early in the episode where uh, Monica, as the uh, blind angel, is relying on Josh to describe what he sees around himself in this little sandwich shop, which is run by uh, African-American uh, grandmother, and there are some other African-American characters around. Monica hears the voice of the woman and says, oh, she sounds lovely. Uh, does, she, does she look as lovely as she sounds, Josh? And Josh says, well, she's black. And, <laughs> and I'm thinking, well, that's like the most boneheaded thing you could say, Josh. And, of course, we've had no indication up to this point that Josh would find that being black was the uh, most important characteristic about describing someone. Is she as lovely as she sounds? Well, she's black. It, it's just, it's completely out of character for Josh, I would think, since he's already been established as having friends, racially diverse friends, and he doesn't care. Now he suddenly does. Um, and then and then there is one character in, in this uh, episode that just sort of brings a dark cloud, no pun intended, to, uh, to every scene she's in. This is an angry black lady, uh, stereotypically speaking, uh, a doctor who runs a little clinic in this depressed neighborhood who's just uh, uh, a bit overwhelmed by the... Um, just the hopelessness of the situation. Here they are in this urban setting where nobody seems to be making any personal progress or economic progress, and here she is just seeing overwhelming problems. And so she is the stereotypical angry black character who, uh, uh, well, you know, the, the dialogue is almost, almost this bad. <laughs> where, um, you know, let's say the white guy says, oh, excuse me, uh, your shoe's untied. And the other character says, What? I'll bet you're just saying that because I'm black. Well, well no, 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 no. I tell you, your shoe is untied, and I didn't know if you'd noticed it yet, and I didn't want you tripping over your shoelaces and hurting yourself. Oh, so now you're telling me I can't even walk in safety without the help of a white man. Is that what you're telling me? No, no, it's not that. Oh, forget it. See, and I'm exaggerating just a little bit. The dialogue in this crossover episode is almost that bad. And the angry black character has this super short fuse. And every time you say hello, it's like, you're only saying that because I'm black. Oh, oh, it's just, uh, it's tiresome. And I realize this is really the only character in the show that behaves that way. And yet it does sort of bring down the... <laughs> the level of understanding for all the characters in the show. So there are certainly plenty of level-headed uh, characters in the show, uh, both uh, white and uh, black. And yet uh, this one doctor character just, just is grating when you see her in the episode. So anyway, what happens in the episode is, okay, here comes this uh, white kid, and he's going to try and fix up this uh, strip mall just enough that he can sell it and get out of there. And uh, instead, he comes to befriend some of the characters who, who live in this place. And we did have some uh, some neat guest stars in the show, most notably Esther Roll, who was on the show Good Times, Al Jarreau, the, uh, the singer, and uh, Academy Award winner Lou Gossett Jr. was also on this episode 
of uh, the crossover Touched by an Angel Promised Land. And also, um, the guy who plays the young sort of ne'er-do-well white kid who's going to manage the strip mall was played by an actor named George Newbern. George Newbern uh, may be best recognized as the groom in the movie Father of the Bride with Steve Martin from the early 90s. Or was that the late 80s? Well, somewhere in there. Father of the Bride, Father of the Bride Part 2 with Steve Martin. Uh, yeah, the groom was George Newbern, and George Newbern was our guest. And I got to say, George Newbern, just as an actor, just as a person, very charming, easy to work with, very nice guy. It was, very, it was a pleasure to work with George Newbern. And so he felt a little bit bad for the guy because at least his character was always being picked on in this show as a guy who had bad taste in music, a guy who just couldn't succeed at anything he tried to do, a guy that should be yelled at simply because he's white, and white people deserve that. Um, Yeah, this is the kind of stuff we were seeing in this episode. All right, so uh, what happens in the first half of the episode is that George Newbern decides he's going to... um, clean the place up just a little bit, and there's a wall that's just full of graffiti, and he is going to go out there and paint this wall uh, white and get rid of all the graffiti. And as he's doing this, some gangbangers, who uh, we would assume have created that graffiti, they come by, there's a drive-by shooting, and some people are shot. And that is the dramatic conclusion of part one, some people are shot. So there's... uh, there's George Newbern's character, there's Josh Green, there's Lou Gossett Jr., a couple other people uh, in the crossfire, and you wonder which one of them has been shot by this drive-by shooter. We come to find out then at the beginning of the second half, uh, Tess shows up back where the Greens are still camped out waiting for some instruction, Uh, she shows up and says, oh, now it's time for you to go. Your son needs you. He's in Denver. And so the Green family takes off. They go to Denver and they find out their son has been shot. Here he went off on a little mission for God uh, to go help Monica the Blind Angel. And he's been shot. (sighs) So the Green family, of course, they're very uh, sad about this and somewhat angry at the angels for how did you get us into this and why, why is this happening? And And so uh, Tess just pleads for understanding and, you know, God works in mysterious ways, that sort of thing. And we find out that Josh uh, was shot in the shoulder and maybe uh, went down and hit his head. We're not sure exactly what happened to him, except that we know that his arm is in a sling and for some reason he's gone blind. And when the family is told that Josh has gone blind, there is the immediate uh, speculation that this is a temporary condition. Now, again, I think as a viewer, I'm looking at this thing. This is ridiculous. How often does someone go blind and the first thing you assume is, well, this is just temporary? I mean, yeah. And so there are, uh, there are other references throughout the episode where, you know, someone says, well, hey, Russell Green, how's your son doing? Well, he's blind. We don't know for how long. And it just sounds ridiculous to me to say he's blind, but we don't know for how long. Yeah, since when is is it just expected that blindness is a temporary condition? Uh, uh, it, yeah. All right. I, I have other complaints about the show. Like, for example, Josh has noticed that a little girl that happens to be hanging out around the strip mall, whose grandmother uh, ran the uh, the sandwich shop there, uh, 
This little girl, she seems somewhat distant. You know, when people talk to her, she doesn't really pay attention to them. And and Josh seems to be the only one to figure out, there's something wrong with this girl. Maybe, you know, someone needs to check her out. She's got a problem. And so we're supposed to believe that all the other people who interact with this little girl who see her every day have not noticed that, you know, there's something beyond the fact that she's just a little bit spacey. And, of course, we do come to find out she's deaf. She's got, I don't know, she's had uh, earaches that haven't been uh, properly addressed. But she's got this uh, deafness problem. And, you know, the only one who seemed to notice this and say, you know, we got to take her to a doctor and figure out what's wrong with her is Josh. that, That, to me, again, was sort of ridiculous. Well, in the end, we find out that Lou Gossett Jr.'s character was uh, was someone that Russell Green knew in Vietnam. They were both, uh, you know, soldiers over there and knew each other and didn't like each other at all in the battlefield. And uh, Russell was sort of somewhat hoping that, you know, he would never see this man again. And so suddenly here they are. And uh, Lou Gossett Jr., who was also injured in the drive-by shooting, uh, is, uh, you know, oh, I can't believe you. And they and they both sort of still hate each other, but uh, they learn to get along. And Russell Green gives a, what's supposed to be an inspiring speech to this individual and in saying, um, you know, the, the only way to, to improve life around here is to get angry. I want you to get angry. I want you to fight. <laughs> and, uh, again, I just... Uh, well, I, I, you know, I hate to be overly critical of the writing of this particular episode, but I'll just say, you know, kind of as a summary statement, I was not pleased with this particular episode. I didn't think it was nearly as profound as it was trying to be, and so I'll just leave it at that and, and not go into too much more detail. Um, yeah. But, you know, while we were making this episode, it did feel somewhat important uh, they had pulled out all the stops. They had brought in these big-time guest stars, you know, people like Lou Gossett Jr., who was an Academy Award winner, who didn't necessarily do a lot of television. There he was. We had uh, both crews, for, you know, the Touch by an Angel crew and the Promised Land crew, working on the various parts of the episode. We had uh, a, a little video crew that came out to uh, produce a report for Entertainment Tonight. There was a lot of attention uh, paid here. Uh, publicity photographers from the network came out and took a lot of publicity photos uh, to kind of, you know, for some special promotion. And this was also at the time when Touched by an Angel had, had just recently ascended into the top 10 uh, programs on all of television. And in fact, during this particular time while filming was going on, Touched by an Angel had started to get into the top five of all television shows on network television in prime time, Touched by an Angel was in the top five as far as ratings go. So it was feeling like this is very important and this is a big deal. And doing a crossover episode with part one happening on a Sunday night as a Touched by an Angel episode and part two happening on a Tuesday night during the Promised Land time slot, um, this is just good for everyone, and this is high publicity, and we're happy to be involved with this and, uh, and, and feeling like we're on this very important, high-profile show. That's how it felt while we were filming it. When it was all done and I watched the final episode, I felt like this is heavy-handed and not very enjoyable to watch. <laughs> so, uh, you know, the, a little bit of a disconnect between how it felt to be on the crew and then how it felt to just be a viewer of the show. And so that's why... Uh, again, the show is just a little bit difficult for me to watch and 
and difficult for me to, to say a lot of great things about it, except that it was fun to work on it. <laughs> I'll give it that much. We were using an actual little strip mall shopping center thing in, uh, in the Sugar House area of Salt Lake City. And in fact, it wasn't too long, just a year or two after we had done this episode, that that entire uh, building, the, the place we were using to do the episode, uh, was torn down and replaced. There's a big Barnes & Noble there now. So, um, yeah, I mean, in the episode, as the episode ends, there's hope for a future, and these people are going to band together and work together to revitalize the neighborhood and make this thing work. But in real life... Uh, <laughs> The, the, this this little shopping center was going out of business anyway, and now it's gone and it's replaced by a nice new Barnes & Noble. <laughs> so that's the real-life story there. Uh, also, I should mention that uh, while we were filming this, there was some speculation among crew members, and I don't really know if this was ever, if there was any particle of truth to this, but some speculation and a rumor that perhaps uh, another spin-off series was in the works that the characters that were being established as uh, in this little strip mall in Denver uh, the racially diverse cast and all this was going to be these characters were going to be spun off onto their own show um but that never happened so you know we thought maybe that would happen and we were speculating well if they did a show like that would they film it also in Utah or would they film it somewhere else well we'll never know because it just never happened so i don't know um another thing one more thing while this was going on of course uh touched by an angel being so popular uh there was a drive to produce as many episodes of touched by an angel as uh, as they could it seemed uh what happened was okay we're, we're we're working on a crossover episode so while part one of it is being filmed primarily by the crew of touched by an angel then uh, Promised Land was off doing another episode of Promised Land, which was supposed to be aired before this crossover episode came on. Uh, and this was the episode that was supposed to take place between the Mine Collapse episode and this Denver crossover episode. But uh, because of the O.J. Simpson civil trial... <laughs> And news coverage related to the verdict in that trial, uh, the episode of Promised Land that was supposed to air on a Tuesday night that week was preempted. And so um, so the episode of Promised Land that was supposed to air before the crossover episode was delayed. And as a result, the episode of Promised Land that was supposed to air before having to air afterward actually had to be altered. Because the way it was filmed uh, originally, Josh was not blind, but you know now that he's become blind, they actually... Uh, maybe I'll explain that in a different podcast, because I'm getting really convoluted right now. But uh, the bottom line is that they were also um, you know, cranking out the Touch by an Angel episodes. And now, most TV series uh, episodes... They'll, they'll do 22 episodes per season here in, in America. Uh, if it's a mid-season replacement show that starts off, you know, in January, then, uh, you know, maybe fewer. But if it's a regular show, starts its new season in the fall and carries through for a whole season, it's 22 episodes. There are some exceptions. For example, the show 24. They do 24 episodes. Um, and then with Touch by an Angel and Promised Land, we usually did more than 22 episodes in a single season. And Touch by an Angel especially would do 25, 26, sometimes 27 new episodes in a single season on Touched by an Angel. Uh, 
And one of the ways they did this at Touched by an Angel was they tried to create stories that were um, maybe self-contained. The whole story takes place in one spot. Like uh, there was one episode, for example, where almost everything took place in a bus depot. Just one set. Uh, or almost everything takes place in, in a bar. Just one set. And so they could maybe uh, squeeze in more production, uh, do more scenes in a day if they don't have as much uh, having to move equipment around to new locations and things like that. So that's one way that they were able to sort of compress the schedule and maybe take six or seven days to film an entire episode instead of the full eight days. Another way that you often see in uh, network television that they use to kind of squeeze in an extra episode in a very short time would be to do a clip show. And perhaps you've seen this. Uh, it's been a while since I've seen one of these, but, uh, you know, where the characters kind of sit around and say, oh, yes, remember the time when we did X, Y, Z? And then they'll do a little flashback and show you a clip from an episode that you've already seen. And this is effective, I suppose, if it's, a, if it's a series that has become more popular over time. And there may be viewers that never saw uh the earlier episodes from, you know, the first couple of seasons. And so now you're in the third season and you want to say, well, here, here's a little way to review. And so that made a little bit of sense to do that with Touched by an Angel, because this was definitely a show that uh, had gained in popularity. So if they had some flashback scenes now and then, a character reminiscing about, you know, oh, I remember that one assignment. You remember that assignment last year when I helped the little boy? And then, you know, they do a little flashback and you get to see a clip from that episode. So this is something they were able to do on Touched by an Angel, and uh, uh, again, it helped them squeeze out an extra episode with a minimal amount of effort. You know, maybe they would only take two or three days to film new footage and fill in the rest with old footage, and bang, you got a whole new episode without having to do eight days of filming. So uh, at, the, at the same time, we were working on this crossover episode of Touched by an Angel, with the racially diverse crew in the Denver strip mall, they were also creating a clip show of Touched by an Angel. And so there were three crews working simultaneously, the normal Touched by an Angel crew, the normal Promised Land crew, and then just about everyone else in the Salt Lake City area that had film crew experience who, uh, you know, was kind of a day player on shows like uh, Promised Land and Touched by an Angel. They all they all got together and they were filming the clip show. And uh, this was, from what I understood, because I didn't have a lot of inside information, I was just hearing rumors that the, the cast of Touched by an Angel was getting particularly annoyed at uh, having to follow this schedule, jumping from one set to another, trying to film two episodes at once. And so I was told that the cast of Touched by an Angel put their foot down and said, we're not going to do this anymore. No. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, they may have done a clip show again, but uh, they never actually filmed two episodes simultaneously with cast members having to jump back and forth from one set to another. So, uh, yeah, so that's just some of the convoluted memories I have of that particular time uh, working as as a stand-in. <laughs> and uh, doing a little jumping back and forth myself a little bit from working on uh, Promised Land and then working on uh, Touched by an Angel with the folks from uh, from Promised Land uh, as, as cast, uh, guest cast members on that show. 
but what can I say? Not a fan of that uh, particular story. Okay, so, yeah, that's enough of me talking for this week. I'll tell you what, next week I'll tell you about an episode of Promised Land called Downsized. And, uh, and then I'll also tell you about Promised Land going on location outside of the Salt Lake City area. Yeah, we got to go film a few episodes in southern Utah near Nevada and Arizona and get to see the Painted Desert and Zion Canyon and some of that uh, extraordinary southwestern scenery, uh, we actually got to go take it on the road. And I'll tell you more about that as we get into the next episode of this podcast. All right, so uh, this is, again, the Memoirs of a Movie Stand-In podcast. You'll find the official show notes for this podcast at utahstandin.blogspot.com and if you want to send me any email it's moviestandin at gmail.com so um, I'll, I'll see you next week we've got new episodes of this podcast every Thursday night at 8 7 central and uh, you have a great week <laughs>